0: Good morning. I'd like to thank you all. I'm getting more feedback, or I'm good now. Okay, good. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for the birthday wishes. I'm now 23, a little older than some of y'all think I am. Yeah. Getting on up there, almost in my mid 20s. Wow. Yeah. It was a good week. It was a good birthday. It's been a good year. It really has been a good year for a lot of reasons. It was a good year in general. And it was a good year because, man, let me tell you, this this was before I even applied here and tried out here. There were a lot of people that I knew, ministry friends, that would tell me, you know, Aaron, it's all right. You know, you're going to find that starter church. You know, everybody has that first church that doesn't go too well. And let me tell you, I think they were absolutely wrong, right? I, I, I was coming into this, I was not going to treat this like so many other people treated as a starter church. I just think that's a terrible way to start ministry, and it's been really good. I do not view y'all as a starter church. It's been a whole lot better than I would have hoped for, and God has done some good things, and I, I believe that he's allowed me to grow in the gifts that he's given me, and I hope that, you know, uh, he has used me to benefit y'all. Uh, I hope maybe, maybe you learned something from this 23-year-old or not. Anyway, uh, that being said, I do want to do a, r- a real quick recap of the past few weeks just so you, you can kind of see how this is all tying together. A few weeks ago, we took a look at the witness of Jesus. And then in light of that witness, we're either going to believe it or not. However, you got to remember, every single person in here, we all begin from a place of unbelief. And we notice several, you could say, reasons or characteristics of unbelief with one that seemed to be the primary characteristic in John chapter 5, verse 44. The thing that seemed to be central was how can we believe if we're just concerned about receiving glory from one another? And right? as long as that's our concern, just receiving glory from one another, we can't really believe in Jesus. Now, before diving into our text today, I want to draw your attention to a few things about this passage and the parallels. I'm going to kind of nerd out a little bit. Some of you will like this information. And speaking of which, there is a handout on the back table where Paul's sitting, uh, and it kind of gives you a parallel of the account of the feeding of the 5,000. All right, so this is First off, it's the only miracle other than the resurrection that occurs in each of the Gospels, right? And so back on that little table, I have parallel, I typed, not typed it out, I copied and pasted, I, I changed the, I bolded some things and I underlined some things so you can kind of see how they're alike and how they're different. So that handout's on that back little table for those interested. And so first, again, this is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels other than the resurrection, and Matthew, Mark, and John, they record Jesus walking on water immediately after this account. So that got to get you thinking, well, why did they do that? All right, how is this related? How is Jesus walking on water related to the feeding of the 5,000? Another thing we got to keep in mind is that Jesus, he did not just feed 5,000. Right? 5,000 was just the amount of men. You can see that in Luke 9, 14, and Matthew 14, 21. 5,000 was not including women and children. Right, so that number, the number of the amount of actual people fed could easily be doubled, right? We're talking 10,000 plus people being fed, and so that makes the story obviously a lot more significant. Matthew, Mark, and Luke make reference to John the Baptist's death right before the feeding of the 5,000, right? So that's got to get you thinking, okay, how is that relevant? What's the importance there? And I think there is some significance there. You've got to remember John's main purpose, his main point. So John chapter 1, just as a quick reminder, John chapter 1 verse 31, John says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. See, John the Baptist's whole purpose is just pointing people to Jesus, right? His whole purpose is pointing the people to Jesus, and he kind of reiterates this in John chapter 3, John chapter 3 verse 26, John 3 verse 26, this is when John's disciples are baptizing, and then Jesus' disciples are also baptizing, and so in John 3 verse 26, it says this, and they came, that is some of John's disciples, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all, all are going to him. And so John's disciples see this, they see people, all, all the people going to Jesus, and John's response is, That's great. That's the whole point. That's why I'm doing what I am doing, because I want to point other people to Jesus. And so I think John's death, likely occurring just before the feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the really 10,000 plus, is all the more significant. Think about this, right? John's whole purpose was to point people to Jesus, then immediately after his death, you got thousands of people coming to Jesus. What John wanted is coming to fruition. So many people are coming to hear Jesus. And so as John fades away to death, I most certainly think that is a joy for him as Jesus feeds the 5,000. So John chapter 6, that's where we're going to be today. John chapter 6, it seems like these thousands believe, right? John has completed his mission. He's dead Thousands are now coming to Jesus. They seem to believe, right? Now, remember last week we talked about how we didn't believe, and now we may believe. Maybe we believe, all right? But we've got to ask, what do we believe about Jesus? We might believe Jesus, but we might believe wrongly. So John chapter 6, verse 1 says this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now here, you might be thinking, well, I I might be thinking, you might not be thinking of this. um, Is there a chronological issue? All right, so back in John chapter 5 verse 1, Jesus was just in Jerusalem. When did he get to Galilee, right? He just appeared there. And the way the text says this, it says he went to the other side of Galilee, which makes it sound like he was already in Galilee if he went to the Other side of Galilee. So, is there some kind of chronological issue here? Now, we got to remember John, he's not recording every single thing that happens in the life of Jesus. Uh, Consider John chapter 21 again. John chapter 21, verse 25. It says, Now, there are so many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So in John chapter 6, it kind of seems like a weird jump. Jesus just randomly appears in Galilee, but we've got to remember, John, he's not recording every single thing that happens. All right? He's not giving you an exact chronological history of the life of Jesus. And we also got to keep in mind how history then is different than what we usually consider history. Right? They were more concerned with recording events and then making a point. Right? There was usually a message behind the history they recorded, they weren't as concerned about presenting an exact chronological history. And there are some people who take this, some people who look at the differences between the Gospels, uh, the quote unquote chronological inconsistencies, and they say, Ha! Therefore, they're unreliable. I don't think so. See, I think the differences in the Gospels uh, actually serve to validate the Gospels. After all, would you say that they're, they would be more questionable if they were exactly the same word for word? Like, word for word, if you read the Gospels and they were exactly the same throughout the whole thing, that would be a little bit, a little bit more, more questionable than if they were a little bit different. Because you've got to remember, the four Gospels are recorded by four different people. And you probably heard this illustration before. If you had four different people viewing a car wreck, would they all describe the car wreck the same way? No. Right, so the Gospels being different, John recording his Gospel in a different, in a different way than the other writers is not an issue. It's a matter of perspective and a matter of him trying to communicate a certain message. So John chapter 6, there might be some sort of chronological jump that we're not aware of that he makes. Verse 2, chapter 6 says this, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. On one hand, it is great, right? It's great that these thousands of people are, uh, are coming to Jesus. But on the other hand, we have an issue of why. Why are they coming to Jesus? And Jesus, he really wants them to see who he is, not just the things he does. And we can see in the text, they're coming because they saw the signs. They saw that he was healing the sick. They weren't really coming for who Jesus is. They came because they saw him do cool things. Now, this might not be the best example, but how would you feel if People were to just value you because of the things you do. Would you feel valued? Anytime somebody needed something, they would just come to you just because they need something. Would you feel valued? Or do those people just value the things that you do? And so that's the issue here. That seems to be the issue. These people are coming to Jesus. They're following Jesus because they see the signs. They don't seem to actually value Jesus because he is the son of God. Continue on in verses 3 through 6. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, a few things about this. This is kind of setting the stage here. Jesus, he's sitting with his disciples, which is a classic rabbinical teaching position. So it seems like Jesus, he's getting ready to teach his disciples. And furthermore, the passage mentions the Passover. So that makes you wonder, well, wait a minute. Weren't we just at the Passover a few chapters ago? It kind of seems like, well, it happened within a year. Two Passovers, that's not possible. Those are two different years, right? And so again, John, he's not concerned about presenting an exact chronological history. So yes, it kind of seems like there's a weird chronological jump, but John's gospel is most certainly abbreviated. Regardless, the thousands, the thousands following Jesus, they're following Jesus during the time of the Passover. That's pretty significant. Think about this. See, if they're Jews, if they're good Jews they're usually going to be on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But instead, they're following Jesus. And guess where Where Jesus is going? In the opposite direction of Jerusalem. He's up in Galilee. He is up north away from Jerusalem. And guess what? He's going to go from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, even further away from Jerusalem. And so these Jews here, probably mostly Jews, following him, they should be on their pilgrimage, but they're following Jesus. Jesus. Verses 5 and 6 say this. I'm going to reiterate those again. Lifting up his eyes, seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where do we buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now obviously since these, they're probably, maybe they started on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but then they saw Jesus, so they started following Jesus. Maybe that's what's going on here. But you've got to keep in mind that when they go on their pilgrimage, they're not packing for like two plus weeks. It's maybe a few days' travel from where they are to Jerusalem. So they're not packing for a long time. They're not packing that much food, and so they don't have food. Right? A lot of them are probably very hungry, and so Jesus, you know, he, he has the logical thought that we've got to feed these people. And so Jesus asked Philip, where can we buy food for 10,000 plus people? Now, if you were Philip, what would you say to Jesus? We're not paying for that. (laughs) How are we going to pay for 10,000 plus people? How many people in here have enough money to just do that, right? Just pay for food for 10,000 plus people. Nobody in here has that much money to pay for that many people. And Jesus says this perhaps with like a wink. You know, sometimes I think Jesus is a little, he's joking with them. Like, yeah, no, 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 hint, hint. It's not, we're not going to buy food. It's going to be on me. The bread's on me, boys, right? No, I don't think that's what goes on here. But look at Philip's response in verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not even be enough for each of them to get a little so Philip, he does actually a pretty noble thing here. He considers all they have. All right, so the context, that Jesus and his disciples, they had some people support them in their ministry. Or they had some women who supported them in their ministry to, so they could travel, and so they had some money right, to buy food, buy what they need. And Philip considers all they have right, for their travel, for the food that they need, and he offers it up. So it's actually a pretty noble response from Philip, but that's not what Jesus has in mind. And then Andrew, he has a bright idea, verses 8 through 9. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So Andrew, he decides to steal from a boy. No, I'm kidding. That's probably not what happens. But presumably, presumably, the boy offers up this bread as a lot of children do, right? Children like to help. They like to offer their help, even if it's not that much. They offer help, and it's sincere. Right? It's, kind of, it's kind of cute, right? They're like, oh, I can help, but it's not really helping sometimes, just getting in the way, but they want to help. And so Jesus responds, I can work with that. Verses 10 through 11, Jesus says this. Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to, to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they were. Wanted. Now, truly, there are a few ways this text could be preached. On the one hand, there's the message that Jesus, you know, he can take what is little, what's seemingly insignificant, and make much of it. There's that sermon, but I'm not going to preach that sermon. What I want to focus on is at the very end of verse 11. It says that Jesus distributed to each as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. It doesn't say he distributed to each just as as much as they were full of. As much as they wanted. right? If they wanted more than what they actually would need, they could have it. Or if they wanted some food to take on the journey with them, they could have had it. As much as they wanted, not just their fill. And some preachers would take this and turn it into a prosperity gospel. You know, part of it is true. Jesus could give you plenty, could. It's absolutely within God's ability to give you an abundance of wealth. That's within his ability. It's absolutely within Jesus' ability to give you more than enough food, more than enough shelter, more than enough clothing. It's within his ability to give you everything you would ever need. That's absolutely possible. But just because it's within God's ability does not mean that that's what he primarily desires for you. So let me ask you again, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he's just someone that can give you stuff? Or do you believe that he's somebody that can just come to your every beck and call, fulfill every need, every want that you have? Is the multiplication of bread really what Jesus wants them to focus on? Is that the point of this Passage, we're going to kind of answer that next week. For now, go on to verses twelve through thirteen. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing be lost. So they gathered them, gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Hold on to verse 13, all right? Hold on to verse 13. We have twelve baskets full of fragments. We're gonna kind of address that next week. It's gonna be important when we talk about Jesus being the bread. And so what could these twelve? baskets represent for now go on to verse 14 the people saw the sign that he had done they said this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world now you may think to yourself well look they get it or they believe in jesus they understand who he is hold up a minute just one verse later you kind of get the context here verse 15 perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself the issue they wanted an earthly king they viewed Jesus as somebody they could just establish as king and who could evidently give them they would all ever need give them whatever they would want So do they really value Jesus because of who he is or because of what he could just do for them? They may believe, but they might believe wrongly. Their focus is on the stuff, not the Savior. Verses 16 through 21. How does this passage relate to the feeding of the 5,000? Verses 16 through 21, it says, When the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough with a strong wind because the strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near their boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So how does this relate? Right. In this passage, Jesus, he does his thing, he disappears, he does that quite often. So the disciples, they decide to go across the sea. Keep in mind, they're three or four miles in the sea. Three or four miles in the sea, the weather's bad, they could die, and Jesus just walks up to them. Right? Walks up to them and says, it's all right, it's all right, chill out. They take them into the boat, and the way the text presents it is that they're just immediately where they need to be. They're just three or four miles into the sea. Now, keep in mind, I don't have a picture for this. I don't have a map for this, but Tiberius, which is where they're at, it's down in the, uh, I guess that would be the western corner of the Sea of Galilee. And then Capernaum is up on the top of the Sea of Galilee. And so it's just about a six-mile journey by boat. And they're three or four miles into the sea. So they're maybe just halfway to where they want to go, and they could die. They're about to die. The weather is bad. They could die, and it seems like when Jesus gets there, he just, boom, teleports them. That's the way the Gospel of John presents it, at least. So how does this How does this passage relate to the feeding of the 5,000? Well, let me present you two extremes. On the one hand, Jesus can provide more than enough When you might have nothing, as these people did, they didn't have anything, they were hungry, Jesus can, it's within his ability to provide more than enough. The other extreme, when you are on the brink of death, Jesus can save you. In both instances, what you see is that Jesus provides something. First instance, he provides food, he provides sustenance. Second instance, he provides salvation saves them from the waters. But I ask you again, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you view him as just somebody who can give you more than enough? Do you just view him as somebody who can give you plenty? Do you come to him just because you want something from him, something physical, some wealth? Is that why you come to Jesus? Is that why you believe in Jesus? Do you view him as somebody who could just save you when life is going terribly, when you're about to die? Do you just view him just so he could do that for you? Or do you view him as the Son of God? Do you believe him because he is the Son of God? Do you believe him because he is the one who just sustains life? He's the one who offers you spiritual life. What do you believe about Jesus? I pray that you don't believe him just because he can offer you things. That's why the prosperity gospel works so much in some places. People like the idea of a Savior who can just give them stuff. That's not what Jesus is primarily concerned about. The multiplication of bread was never really about the bread. It was always about him. See, next week we're going to take a look at a passage. This is going to be a long passage of Jesus talking about he is the bread. He never wanted them to focus on the bread that he was giving them. He wanted them to focus on him as the bread, as the one who sustains. To see him as the son of God, to focus on him and not the sign. If you'd like to respond, if you would like to see him as the one who sustains, you can as we stand and sing.